Well, we're considering the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not sayings as such, but they're his sentences that were spoken as he lived his final hours upon the cross. Christ's words, and this morning we think of Christ's words of salvation. Luke 23 and verse 43, Jesus said unto him, one of the two thieves, Verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We thought last week of the Lord's first words on the cross. They were a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ, who began his ministry, his baptism with prayer, He's going to end it with prayer. The first, the fourth, and the seventh sayings of the Lord Jesus were prayers. He spoke to his heavenly Father. His prayer life had not finished. He has a heart for others. In these seven sayings, he speaks to his Father, he speaks to his mother, he speaks to the crowd, he speaks to the thief, to the soldiers, to the rulers. He's speaking to so many people. He is other-minded, and so should we be. And as we shall think this morning, his priority is the gospel. He wants this one man to come to faith. He sees within his heart a stirring, and so his emphasis will be the gospel, and so should ours be. And as we thought last week, he prays for his enemies. We shall think of the many enemies at the cross this morning. And we shall notice as well that that first sentence, a prayer, will be answered. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And one man standing next to him will be the first answer to that prayer. But there will be many answers. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 will be added to the church, such as should be saved. Well, I want to ask, Four questions this morning. Four simple questions. Why were there so many enemies at the cross? Secondly, why was Christ crucified among two thieves? He could have been crucified on his own. But why was he crucified among two thieves? Thirdly, why was one saved and the other lost? And then fourthly, very simply, how was the one saved? I'll give you those questions again. Some of you take notes. Why so many enemies at the cross? Why Christ crucified among two thieves? Why was one saved and one lost? And how 
was the one saved. So many enemies. We read Psalm 69. It spoke of many, many enemies. It's a messianic psalm. We read it deliberately. You saw, no doubt, that there was a prophecy that he would be given vinegar, gall, to drink. A specific prophecy about the cross. But that psalm and many others speak about the enemies. David had enemies, Saul. But Christ has so many enemies at the cross. We will have enemies if we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think of the enemies that Christ had. Look at Luke 23 and verse 21. Here's the first enemy that we can mention. But they cried. Who's they? The great crowd. Hundreds gathered. Crucify him. Crucify him. And we probably would have done the same. The vast crowd wants the sinless Saviour to be crucified. A throbbing, raucous crowd baying for blood. Blood is what they would get because he would shed his precious blood. There's then in verse 20, the pathetic Pilate who knew what was right but wouldn't stand up for truth. He's the one that gave sentence. Verse 24, Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, but not as justice required. That's the second enemy of Christ. And then look at verse 35. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they derided him, they mocked him, ridiculed him, scorned him, made fun of him. The rulers, you should have known better, self-righteous, and yet they mocked the one who had no sin. Another group of enemies. Verse 36, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him that vinegar that was prophesied in Psalm 69. Four soldiers whose task it was to ensure they had to they would they have been killed themselves if Christ had not been killed. They only had one job, to make sure he died, to make sure he breathed his last after the cruelest of all deaths that man could conceive. But then, 
Look at verse 39, and we'll refer to another text shortly. One of the thieves which were hanged railed upon him. It says one there, but if you turn to Matthew chapter 27, it's not a contradiction. I think they would have railed and reviled him and jeered him and mocked him several times. There is a record of one witness, Matthew, who hears both of them mocking. Matthew 27, verse 44. The thieves, both of them also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Literally it means they mocked. Their mouth was filled with mocking. Both of them. But in what Luke records, it seems that one of them had a change of mind. If you go back to Luke 23, one of the thieves begins to change his mind. This is not right. What we're saying is wrong. We're speaking not to a man. We're speaking to God. Don't you fear God? There's no contradiction there. The change has begun. Well, Christ had many, many enemies. Many enemies who didn't want him to die, some who did want him to die. And those that wanted him to die vastly outnumbered the very few. His mother, a few women, but nobody spoke for Christ. Nobody said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nobody spoke up for him at the cross. Those that didn't want him to die, they were silent. Just turn to one other scripture, Philippians chapter 3. We see that Paul mentions the enemies of the cross. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 and 19. Some years later, Paul, speaking to the church at Philippi, he says this, For many, Philippians 3, 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Do you know every enemy of the cross, at the cross, was merely following the plan of God? was following the scripture where it says in Isaiah 53, 12, he would be numbered with the transgressors. You see, Christ had to have many enemies. It wasn't possible that Christ couldn't die. 
he had to die. And so the Godhead permitted and allowed it that he would have many enemies who ensured that he would die. Why were there so many enemies? Firstly, because Scripture prophesied it. Read the Psalms. Read Isaiah. You see, enemy after enemy is predicted. He would be numbered with the transgressors. It was prophesied. It had to be. It must be. There was no way of escape for Christ. He didn't want there to be, because he would do the Father's will. Why was there many enemies? Because of Scripture. But secondly, because the cross of Christ hits hard at the pride of man. You see, men and women don't want there to be a saviour. They didn't want there to be one who would die and take the punishment of sin. You see, from the beginning of time, men and women wanted a different way. They wanted man's way. They wanted something physical. They wanted man's works. Cain and Abel, what happened? One came with the right sacrifice. One came with the wrong sacrifice. And all the way through time, religion says, I, I, I. I can, I can do, I can work, I can give, I can earn, I can make a sacrifice. But the cross of Christ says you can't. Christ said, I'm the only way. And what's happening is not physical, it's spiritual. You see, man wants a physical religion. He wants to go to a shrine and give his offering. But Christ says, no. My death will be the once and for all death. It will do away with every sacrifice. There will not be a need for an altar, a shrine, there won't be a need for anything physical. From now on it will be spiritual. The cross of Christ hits hard at the pride of man. Man says, I want to contribute. I want my life to be worthy. But none of us have a life that's worthy. And the cross tells us, that there needs to be a spiritual answer. In a way, an unseen answer. Something goes on at the cross that none of us can see. Hollywood can't depict it. There cannot be a representation that's physical. That's why we don't have crosses in this church. It's why we don't have altars. Because Christ in an unseen way, 
takes the punishment. The men and women didn't want that to happen. And that's why there are so many enemies of the cross. At the time that Christ lived and when Paul spoke, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross. Why? Because they mind earthly things. What was happening in the early church is they were bringing back Judaism. They were bringing back physical things. They were bringing things instead of the cross of Christ. And that's what happens today. You go into a church and they want to crucify Christ again. They go to what they call communion and they believe it is the blood of Christ, not a picture, a reminder. You go to some churches and you have pictures. You see there will always be an attempt of man to put the physical in the place of the spiritual. And at the cross of Christ, what Christ is doing is altogether different to the thinking of men and women. That's why there were so many enemies of Christ upon the cross. They didn't want this to happen. They didn't want a sinless Savior to die instead of them. And still there would be, all the way through time, people who mind earthly, physical, carnal things instead of the sinless Son of Christ, that Son of God. Well, secondly, let's come to the second question. Why was Christ crucified among two thieves? This is richly significant. Nothing that happens on the cross of Christ is an accident. The way Christ was crucified is a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. There needed to be a shedding of blood. There needed to be one who would take the curse. Christ did that. But why two men? One on either side. Turn just to another scripture. Acts chapter 4. Turn to this. It gives great light upon what's happening in Luke. Acts chapter 4. And we see really a commentary on what's happening on the cross. Acts chapter 4, and I read verses 25 to 28. This is Peter preaching, and he says this, Acts 4, 25, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They were enemies. For of a truth against this thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast chosen and anointed and appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Every opposition that's happening on the cross, every detail, the fact that Christ was there in the middle, everything had been planned. Don't think for one minute that what Pilate did was of Pilate's choosing. Peter is telling us that David had prophesied these things. Why do the heathen rage? Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? The rulers, Herod, would stand against Christ. And where Christ is put upon the cross has been ordained before the foundation of the earth. It had already been determined that Christ should die and be numbered amongst transgressors. Do you see this? Do you see how significant it is that this very detail, Christ amongst thieves, was planned of God, already ordained. The one who wrote the law with his hand, his hands were nailed to a cross amongst two lawbreakers, amongst thieves. The lawgiver is among the lawless. The one who wrote the law and kept the law perfectly is treated as though he was lawless. You see, Christ had to be my substitute. He had to stand in my place. He didn't deserve it, but I deserved it. And so he had to bear shame and ignominy and suffering. And the way in the mind of God, he had planned that this theater, this spectacle, would be unfolded, would be on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem, there, dramatically, can we say poetically, this theater unfolds with the sinless Son of God amongst two lawless men. Christ had to be the dividing line. He had to stand between one that would be saved and one that would be lost. And that's the story of all of humanity. There would be the saved and the lost. There's no third way, no third category, no purgatory, no middle ground. You're either on the right or on the left. Christ was the dividing line. Christ was the substitute. Christ fulfilled scripture. 
Christ had to demonstrate as well, even though salvation is all of Christ by the Spirit, there is still the responsibility that we bear. You see, both of these two men had the same opportunity. So let's come to the third question. Why was one saved and the other lost? One was unmoved, the other was melted by Christ's love. One rejected, one received. The two thieves were in the same boat, can we say that? That's what they both knew. And one of the thieves admitted it, he says, we are in the same condemnation. We justly receive the same reward. Verse 40, we're in the same condemnation. Verse 41, justly, we receive the due reward for our deeds. These two were Jewish men. They were being crucified because the Romans said so. Crucifixion was not for Romans. It was kept for Jews. They'd done similar crimes. They hung the same distance from the Savior. They both witnessed everything that he said up until this point, everything that he did. They heard his first saying, Father, forgive them. They both had the same time to live. They both faced imminent death. They both experienced the same awful suffering physically that he was suffering, not spiritually, because he took a far more awful suffering. They both heard his words. They both had the same opportunity. They're in the same boat. Do you see? Same opportunity. Do you know that's the same with everybody here this morning? You are sitting under the same gospel. You're hearing the same message. You've done the same sin. We're all thieves in the sight of God. Malachi says, you have robbed me. We're all thieves. We've been given a life. We've stolen it for ourselves. But we have the same opportunity. It's very interesting that the miracles that are done at Calvary, most of them happen in and after the hours of darkness. These two men, they both have the opportunity to listen before the miracles are done. And the salvation of the thief occurs before the miracles. That's significant. We'll come back to that. How interesting that we have two in the same boat, and yet their outcome could not be more different. What did the Lord Jesus say? Matthew 24, 40, 41. Two will be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. 
Two shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Do you know the only explanation for why one was saved and the other was lost is as it explained in Ephesians 1 verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What was the basis? That one should be a sheep that would hear the Saviour's voice and one would be a goat who wouldn't hear, who wouldn't come, who wouldn't listen, who wouldn't bow, who wouldn't acknowledge his sin? Well, Ephesians tells us the answer. It was according to the good pleasure of his will. Not my will. Not the thief's will. But the will of God. And it would be to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I can't explain it. Why should one sister be taken and the other sister be lost? A husband believes, a wife doesn't. One thief taken and the other lost. I can't explain it. But I know that Christ has chosen according to the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glory. You see, if all were saved, it wouldn't bring the same glory to God as if there was a defined number given to the Son and every single one of those would be saved. But they had the same opportunity and so do you this morning. You hear the same gospel. Some of you, you've got brothers who are saved, and you're not. You've got children who are saved, and you're not. Why? Because Christ chose. Well, let's look fourthly. How was this one thief saved? This is a representative thief. A thief. What an interesting sin to be chosen. A thief. A thief who'd stolen his life. A thief who'd broken the laws of the land, who'd broken the laws written upon his heart. Both of them reviled Christ. They mocked him. If you're the Saviour, why don't you save us and you? Why don't you deliver us? But then there's the change of heart. The Spirit works within one thief's heart, but not the other. He begins to acknowledge that he's next to the Son of God. Verse 40, follow these words carefully. Dost thou not fear God? That's the beginning. The beginning of knowledge and wisdom 
is the fear of God. Don't you fear God? We're in a just condemnation. Don't mock him anymore. I've had a change of heart. Justice is being done in our lives. And justice will be done. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You see, this man begins to acknowledge because he starts to have a fear of God, he acknowledges his own sin. He acknowledges that this is just and right, that he should be punished. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, I'm better than you, we're in the same boat. Don't you see? We're being rightly condemned. Do you see your sin? Do you realize that when you are punished, on the day of judgment, that will be just and right? He knew it was right and fair. And it's right and fair for all of us to be punished for our sin, because God is holy, and shall not the judge of all the earth do right? But something else happens here. He says that this man, this man, has done nothing amiss. He sees that between them is the sinless Son of God. He sees that in this man is his only hope. He was a Jew. He knew that sacrifice was necessary to picture what was going to happen when Messiah comes. And he begins to see that instead of an animal, here is the Son of God dying right next to him. Don't you see? This is my hope, my only hope. This man is my substitute. This man is dying in my place. Don't you see? Christ alone can atone for his sin. This is his hope. Verse 42, we come quickly. And he said unto Jesus, here's his question, here's his prayer. He's praying to God, the God who is next to him. He comes to the cross because he's on the cross. And he says to Christ, look at the way he addresses him. Jesus. Jesus. Not teacher. Not rabbi. Not master. He says, Jesus, the one who came from heaven, the one who was appointed and anointed, chosen. He is Messiah. He realizes it. He knows it. Lord, my Lord and my God. And he asks a question. It's a humble question. He doesn't demand anything. He begs, Lord Jesus, remember me. He knows that Christ is going back to heaven. He knows he's a king because he talks about his kingdom. When you come to your kingdom, what a humble question. Remember me and my sin. 
and the fact that I'm getting my just punishment. Remember me. He doesn't wait for the other thief. Time is short. He doesn't wait for anyone else. Don't wait for your wife. Don't wait for your husband, for your brother, for your sister. No, he goes alone. He sees his need. He's got minutes to live. He says, Jesus, Savior, Lord, remember me. Do you know in the Hebrew, in the Greek rather, this sentence, verse 42, is 11 words. Just 11 words. What a simple prayer. But how earnest, how pleading, how urgent, how simple, how dependent. In saying those words, he's saying, there is no other hope for me there's nothing in my life worthy. He depends upon Christ, his only hope for salvation. Lord Jesus, remember me. But let's look at Christ's words. I have but a moment. Christ says ten words in the Greek. His answer is even more simple. Verily. Of a certain, absolute, unbreakable truth, I say unto you, today, now, there won't be a delay, not tomorrow, not when you die, today, you will be not in paradise, but you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is to be where Christ is. It's to have union with him. What sin has broken and stolen and created separation. Christ's death means that we can be united. You see, Christ's words this is the message of salvation today. Verily, of a certain truth, because you've repented, because you've looked away from yourself for the answer, and you've looked only to me today. He repented. He put his faith in Christ. And the promise comes, certainly, today. You will be united with me in paradise, where there is no sin, no sorrow, no shame, no suffering, but there only is that unity which Christ promises to this man. Eleven words, ten words. Salvation to the one, but not to the other. Will you come to him and say, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom.